0: Yeah, we kick things off in the world of money and power and joining me to help us take a look at the big stories in the marketplace on this Thursday is Roy Motoni, Portfolio Manager and Analyst at APSA Asset Management. Roy, good evening and welcome.
1: Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me and good evening to the listeners.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for coming through. Roy, let's maybe start off with the story here. Much said about the transition from analog to digital and I guess, you know, last switch off. Uh, for analog uh, uh, broadcast or transmission, uh, and uh, yeah, a timeline set for sometime in the first quarter of next year. But it seems one of the incumbent players is uh, certainly unhappy with that particular schedule.
1: Yeah, this is an entertainment to move away from di- from from analog to digital transmission.
0: But uh, yeah, but but I'm Roy, sure. maybe just a quick one on that one. Two, Two things. One, has there not been any t- technological advance? in set-top boxes or even in the TVs they accompany to fundamentally, I guess, make them obsolete or to make them
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, not so much, uh, I guess, an operative concern in this thing? I mean, we are talking about set-top boxes nearly 15 years ago. Uh, I mean, is it still the same technology that allows for the, I guess, uh, you know, transition of the signal from analog to digital? So,
1: so my understanding is a lot of, most of the TVs that you
0: would
1: incredibly huge. The, the persistence of these analog televisions that require some form of conversion still exists, and these are people that you have to consider. You don't want to lock them onto the digital sure. future. You don't want them to have if um, you don't want them to have um, no access to information. So, so that's what they're saying. Um, can we verify first of all that 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 we are able to transition these guys into the new information age. Secondly, we. I recognize that when you're setting this timetable, you have to understand that there's a global shortage in chips. There's a global shortage in the ability to, trans- to transport those chips from where they're manufactured to here. Um, and, and it's not as easy as just saying we want to do it by March. So the, the biggest problem here is that you have different stakeholders making different decisions, and there's no integration in terms of First, identifying the need, and then having a multi-sectoral approach, and third, having some urgency towards implementing all of this, because the the game.
0: And I guess that's that's the issue because I mean, if you think about how much. Or, or let me put it this way, the opportunity cost of not undertaking the transition. I mean I get for for an incumbent player like you know E who are suggesting that if the switch off happens too fast, this will have a negative impact on them and I get that because it'll have a negative impact on the ability of many of their consumers or their viewers uh, who might be in rural areas using the old you know uh, TVs that are using UHF frequency or anything of that kind. So so it does make sense. Um, mm. But I think the other element to it is, of course, it then delays the application of new technologies that might be able to assist us, I guess, in dealing what, with what you just raised now, which is um, there's massive demand for spectrum. And a big part of that is around um, you know, connectivity, the Internet. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that a big part of the expansion of the Internet to the rural areas is reliant on this transition, I guess, happening in, in the, the fashion that it should have happened maybe, say, six years ago.
1: If you think about it, in countries, in Brazil, they've just set the, a November date for auctioning of 5G frequencies. Mm. We're nowhere close to even doing that. We're, we're still talking about um, uh, analog TV signals. We're still talking about additional spectrum to let people do 3G and 4G. So, so we're just getting left behind. Um, and, and, and I think this just reflects the, the pace of reform. Because we keep talking about reforms, and maybe in the broader public you might think about reforms as being a big political things. But in truth, this is where reform really, where the reform road really rubber really hits the road. You, you need the spectrum to come out to allow costs of data to come down significantly. Mm. You need the spectrum to come out so that so so that the innovators bring out 5G and and new applications such as those are able to do it and bring us into the information age, but but what you have is a regulator who's not been able to put their foot down um, and, and and set a timetable that we actually stick to. Remember, this ministry that is in charge of this has had about I mean eleven different uh, ministers, twelve different ministers now in the last ten years give or take. Uh, it's almost like the number of profana-profana coaches. Hmm. Uh, it just tells you that's that a the community right? doesn't exist um, and, and the handover from minister to minister to minister isn't happening. So, that's those are the difficulties that we have and we're going to keep having them. Hmm. So somebody Roy, actually I puts mean, down their foot and says, we need to get this yeah.
0: done. But Roy, kudos on the, on the link there, I guess. Uh, I think Hugo Bruce would find uh, that straight talk, uh, very, very appealing as well. and uh, new <laughs> Bafana Bafana coach. But a big part of also the delays here have also been about the contestation of particular interests. Um, I recall, I mean, a big debate around the encryption or le- lack thereof of some of the set-top boxes being uh, somewhat of a sticking point, uh, with uh, many who had interests in either side, I guess, jostling for space and uh, effectively playing out in the courts and also in the regulatory space around those issues.
1: And, and that, to me, just reflects me in all of these yeah. 10, 12 years since we were supposed to make this transition.
0: Hmm. Roy, hold the line there for me for a second. We're going to take a quick spot break. But, uh, yeah, when we come back, we'll continue with some of the other stories that we've seen, including Donnell reaching an out-of-court settlement with the SAAB Grintech Defence, a uh, Swedish, uh, well, I guess a subsidiary of the Swedish uh, aerospace and uh, defense company, GrinTech. We'll continue after this. 23 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM talk here on the mighty Metro. And uh, yeah, we'll continue with our wrap of the top business stories. Roy Motoni is joining us uh, to unpack the latest in uh, the world of money and power. He's a analyst and portfolio manager at APSA Asset Management. Roy Danelle avoiding an out of co- well avoiding liquidation because i guess um, yeah one of the um, the people they owe would have certainly placed them in the liquidation queue uh, they've managed to stave that off with an out of court settlement just give us some of the background to this particular matter uh, and i guess why it was in the interests of Danelle to make sure that they get this out of court settlement rather than the other more ominous alternative
1: well, th- this is one of those stories that we've discussed repeatedly. It's about an SOE who has suppliers but has been unable to keep up with um, the sequence of invoices. Mm. And, and the supplier got fed up and figured that the only redress they have is going to court. Where, do, wh- where does that leave us? It leaves us at, at, at the first step, which was, as always, these SOEs are under mismanaged, mismanaged, um, and need either... Well, actually, we need a combination of a bailout from the government to start off with, and second, competent management that's able to run in a sustainable entity. Now, the court has saved them from, from liquidation right now, but who's to say this is the end of the line? Maybe um, this out of court settlement was simply one where the, the counterparty decided that this is a business I can't afford to leave, let me just come to an agreement. And once this is done, I'll, I'll, I'll move on with, with, with my business and the rest of the world. You see this happening with each of these entities that are undercapitalized, mismanaged, um, and, and and right now, government doesn't seem to have the resources to keep these, these entities going. Um, sad situation, but we're going to see it repeated and repeated again. Mm,
0: mm, mm. I mean, I don't know what, you know. What intervention is required? Where to intervene and how to intervene? I, I mean, I would think, if you if you place yourself, Roy, in the shoes of the shareholder representative, uh, there's a common set of issues here, especially with those that are facing liquidity challenges. How would you deal with that across the board in a, in a systemic way? Because, I mean, I think if we're going to start and deal with them one by one, there's about 700 of these of uh, these SOEs, and uh, you might uh, you might potentially, I guess be reshuffled long before you're able to intervene
1: so, so, so it, it, it's all, just looking at it from the outside there are a few things that are very clear you have a very significant agency problem here that that there is no accountability the people who are appointed to run these enterprises are not face no consequences for failure that's one thing mm. what you probably need to do first is decide um you need, you need competent management from the industry who, are, who is able to make these things profitable, sustainable and able to pay dividends to the exchequer. That's step one. You need an independent board. Now on that board,, you, there's always room for patronage or for traders and everything, but the board must always act in the interest of the ultimate stakeholder who is UNE, the taxpayer. That board oversees management, management oversees the business, the business is a commercial entity, it goes out and makes money. Now, within, within that commercial um, imperative, you can incorporate a couple of other things, um, some level of employment, some level of empowerment, but the bottom line must be that in all of this, the context must be that this business needs to run in a sustainable fashion and return money to the exchequer rather than drawing money down. That's the bottom line. We, we can talk about good things and growing employment and all of that, but if, if we don't have a sustainable enterprise, we'll never achieve anything. Mm. And, and and needing recourse to the exchequer every so often just means these are unsustainable, unviable businesses. But Danelle is not. Danelle has... Is the Danel was a center of innovation, both from military technology, um and, and yeah, defense technology. They have got a lot of IP that is valuable mm. that you can actually make money for, that we made a name for ourselves before. Um you you, you can't tell me that all of that has changed now. So, yeah, I mean so, we spoke
0: we, we spoke to, you know, one of the trade unions that organizes at Danel, And mm. and they were raising that exact issue, saying, you know, this is a company that has built such a, you know, a distinguishable contribution by way of its know-how, its technology, its IP, and just the quality of the products that it brings into the aerospace and defence sector. Um, and and I don't know. I mean, what what becomes the next? You know, some people are calling, I guess, the next terminal stage here. I mean, you know, do you? Do you deal with that? Uh, And absent of recapitalization, because I guess there's also the big question mark around where the money is going to come from to re-inject some uh, some more, I guess, capital into this entity. The
1: the, the truth is, the solution is staring you in the face. You have to acknowledge, the same way that SA went under and is probably going to come up again, is just knowledge. The way it's being run now is unsustainable. It serves no purpose. The salaries that they're paying are unsustainable. Those jobs really don't exist in the absence of support from the exchequer. Once you acknowledge that, then you go and you decide, what is my business plan? What do I actually sell? Where can I make money? How much money can I make? So how many people can I afford to employ? Um, And and how can I grow this business so that it's more relevant to, to the economy in South Africa and it's generating dividends for the exchequer, so it helps the exchequer support poor and indigent people and and build infrastructure. If you're unwilling to think along those lines and, and and your only driver is deploying cadres or or all political favors, you're never going to succeed. And and you can see right now the exchequer has reached a point of um, of maximum stress. You can't you, you can't afford. The, you just
0: simply can't. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those that uh, I guess will continue to be a headache. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts, uh, Roy, on the just transition. I mean, uh, I don't know. So so this is my reading of what the Minister of uh, Mineral Resources and Energy is suggesting. He's saying, look, we've got an IRP, which I guess is a policy signal around what... Scale or pace the decommissioning of our fossil fuel-driven energy is going to take, uh, and we get all of the attractive green funding that's all around there. But you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, it certainly seems to have riled up a lot of people. I mean, I, 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 I must say I, I don't hear anything controversial. But um, Roy, you might see it maybe a bit differently.
1: I'll start from a pretty controversial point of view that mm. um, the renewables lobby. Actually, very loud, very active, very well funded. Let's start from there. That's why that's an interesting that's place to they, start. <laughs> they have such a voice in the media. Uh. And but from there, I'll go to the other extreme and just say, the truth is our biggest problem is the climate problem. Exactly. That's that's absolute reality. Um, that's been acknowledged. Whichever way you want to look at it, there is a climate problem, and South Africa is the eighth largest generator of. Um, carbon dioxide, which, which contributes to global warming, which is accelerating the deterioration of our atmosphere and, and all those things. So, so somewhere in between, a solution needs to be found. Now, um, if, you, if you decommission your coal plants too quickly, well, if you, if, if you just shut it down and say you want renewables, you, you get problems. Renewables, um, you, start, you, you need battery storage. Um, which is incredibly expensive. You need significant investment. Um, and from a South African perspective, we still have what 100 years of coal under under the ground, which mm. could be used as a very cheap base energy, the, the, uh, the base source of energy. So it's a debate that it's a debate that will never end. The, the truth is, we have to gradually move in that direction. And I think the difference here is the minister wants it to be slower. The renewables lobby wants it to be faster. The climate says we are about to reach a point of no return. So, yeah, it's 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 an incredibly complicated process. But I think more and more companies are realizing that if each of us contribute to this. So, like you've seen the new ESCOM plan, you've seen all the mining companies with with a net zero plans by like 2025, 20, 2030 20, if We all contribute to this. Then the pressure on decommissioning coal plants or stopping the use of coal will diminish because at least everyone's contributing. But it's a problem; it's not going away, and and the solution is not continuing the coal plant. That's mm. for sure. Those are the things that are for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess you know, if if you look at the sequencing, as you say, of uh, some of the remarks of the lobby, uh, if I can start just with you with that controversial point you were making. I mean, this comes hot on the heels of massive reports around, you know, the sulfur dioxide emissions of ESCOM, rightfully so, I guess. But uh, just the sequencing of all of these conversations around the COP26 discussions, I think, is also quite curious. Uh, but I think the other issue that you're raising um, is, you know, we have to also make sure that as we advance to some of these combinations of new technologies, solar, PV, gas, wind, you know, um, and some of the other renewable uh, uh, forms of energy, that we also are able, just like we did with the fossil fuels, to build a, a viable industry um, that can really, I guess, make make sure that we're able to localize whatever opportunities there might be, both upstream and downstream from some of those energy sources. And I think the battery storage one is a very interesting example of that.
1: And if you think about it this way, like in South Africa, coal mining is community thing. Mm. Around the coal mines, communities have been built, and generations of people have worked on the mines, got sponsorship, got blessing, developed themselves in the families. If you shut those mines down, you're killing communities. Now, where's the sustainability in that? Where's the quid pro quo in doing things like those? And, and those communities have no other economic activity. So if that doesn't come into the discussion, what you're doing is creating a lot of animosity, you're creating a lot of information, um, and, and so you're creating a lot of opposition. Because all these guys want to do is just continue life as they were before. So, so that's what makes it so complicated. The other thing, is when you look at renewables, now we're seeing that you can't recycle uh, windmills for instance, and they're becoming a problem because they also don't biodegrade over a period of time. So they are part of the problem as well. So it's not as simple as saying shut down all coal Mm, tomorrow, make mm. everything solar and wind, and and, and the world is safe. It's not that simple. It is a lot more complicated thing. But as well, it's not as simple as saying let's just burn the coal until we have nothing more. We might not have a world left by then.
0: Exactly. Exactly, which I guess is a much more ominous outcome there. Let's pause there for this evening. Roy, as always, a pleasure catching up with you, and thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us.
1: a pleasure. Have a good evening
0: that there was uh, uh, Roy Mouton speaking to us uh, this evening about uh, the latest in the world of money and power. Would have loved to go to that uh, Mondi trading statement. And uh, on the back of that result by a packaging giant, Mondi. But uh, unfortunately, we uh, have run out of time. And uh, we're going to take a uh, brief break now. But on the other side, when we continue, we go straight into our headlines.